Hey folks, how we doing? How you doing, Tom? Good, good. Sound good on your end? Absolutely. All right. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Awesome. Yeah, it's a brand new mic, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't sure how the settings were. Are you hearing us okay? Because we typically don't even wear a headset. We just talk loud. <laughs> yeah, no, you guys are uh, you guys are doing great. Awesome. So um, we're here with Tom Crusher today. Tom Flesher, also known as Tom Crusher. Um, so for those who don't know who you, are, who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I've been involved in the grip sport, but primarily the uh, steel bending community for a couple of years now. Uh, I've gotten kind of a, a reputation as being helpful for, for new benders, which I think is the most rewarding thing that I've done. And I uh, compete in the Odd Strongman show as well. Right on, awesome. How long have you been uh, doing this stuff? So I got started bending nails and stuff in 2017. It was kind of a uh, kind of a weird story. Uh, I was working at a summer camp and we were uh, we were trying to put together a show, and uh, I was working with like some third grade age boys, and the person who was putting together the the camp show said hey, why don't we have the boys do a little strongman show? And I was like, cool, I have no idea what that involves. So I started looking around for uh, for old time strongman stunts and one of them was nail bending. And I was like, nail bending, that sounds weird. So I started looking around on the internet and uh, suffice to say, I didn't have the kids bending any nails, but I was I was just absolutely uh, stuck right there. I was watching videos from, uh, Sean Cashman, Jed Johnson, uh, Tommy Jennings, EJ Livesey, and I was just caught there and haven't looked back ever since. Awesome. Yeah, I think the first time I saw bending was back in the 80s for the strongman competitions. I mean, we had to rewatch videos, of course, because I wasn't around in the 80s, but uh, watching Jeff Capes and uh bill Kaz been that giant steel over their head and in their teeth and stuff i'm like what in the world yeah i don't think anything's ever gonna beat lou ferrigno with the towel on his head just yeah. yes i mean that is just when you think of strongman that's what people picture that right there that's an incredible hulk right there absolutely yeah, i mean he was <laughs> he was he was so good for the sport man Definitely. Awesome. Did you grow up watching World's Strongest Man and all that? So I watched it when I could. Um, but, uh, you know, the funny story is I knew Bill Kazmaier as a pro wrestler before I knew him as a World's Strongest okay. Man competitor. Um, <clears throat> I would watch it when it was on ESPN at like 2 a.m. in the middle of the night. Um, but before the internet, I had no way of going back and finding out who all these guys were. I just thought maybe this Magnus Ver Magnuson guy who I kept seeing might have been yep. kind of, you know, kind of good. 
Um, but yeah, so years after I saw Bill Kazmaier wrestling really, really bad, just terrible for WCW, <laughs> uh, tore the sport uh, down to a new low. Um, I saw him on World's Strongest Man and I was like, wow, he actually was an athlete. I had no idea. <laughs> oh, just incredible. Yeah, it's amazing how, how he looked in the ring compared to how he performed at World's Strongest Man. Yeah, I don't know I mean, if it was just the atmosphere or what it was, but he, yeah, he had a tough time with that. that was... Yeah, he was he was pretty stiff. He was not at his uh, at his best uh, level of physical preparedness there. Uh, glad that he's not doing that anymore. He's hawking coffee now, which it's actually pretty good stuff. I figure he might come back and go against Goldberg soon. Well, you know, they're probably about <laughs> the same age. So I yeah, exactly. So I'd I mean, like same age, same kind of background, you know. I mean probably about the same level of flexibility these days. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, that'd be that that'd be a match. Oh man, just negative five stars. I think uh, I think Meltzer would probably give it negative seven if it was in the Tokyo Dome. I'll go back to the Chili Ring of Honor contest that we go. You go to a Chili contest and see wrestlers set up. Oh, man. Yes, we went to a local uh, hot sauce convention, and we had no idea that several of the Ring of Honor guys were going to be there with a ring in the center of the hot sauce convention. It was the same hot sauce company that sponsors them. Oh, really? And, yeah, and we were shocked to see them all there. So we got to see a wrestling show when all we thought we were paying for was a hot sauce convention. Oh, well, that's that's got to be just uh, probably the best free thing that you've gotten all year. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. They have the same guy wrestle in like four different outfits. <laughs> yes, they he was did. the only one that was good there. <laughs> they absolutely did. I'm like, that's the same guy that was in the other match. Now he's all of a sudden a face. He was a heel before. <laughs> did he at least have the sense to change his mask or something? Oh, yeah, he yeah. changed his whole outfit. It was fantastic. Oh, that's that's good. You know, when you've got one guy who's got any sort of talent at all, that's that's what you got to do. You got to get him out there and showcase him as much as possible. Yeah, that's pretty much what they did. He was in most of the matches. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, hopefully you got a triple payday. Yeah. Yeah, I'd hope so. Extra hot sauce for him. <laughs> oh, man, man. Uh, hopefully the uh, the extra habanero. It's I, I hear the habanero is so hot this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got out to a couple years ago, I got out to uh, New Mexico and got into their local green chilies, uh, which they you say you've had a green chili before, but the local green chilies in New Mexico are just kind of a different breed entirely. Very good stuff. Not the hottest ones out there, but some of the best flavor you'll see. That's what that's what matters. Man, Sorry, got the on. hot stuff that's so hot. You're like, what's the point of this? Yeah, can't even exactly. taste anything afterwards. You get above ghost chili, and you're just dealing with it's just endorphin food, basically. Yeah, the thing with the ghost chili is it it hits you, and then five minutes later, it starts burning even more. It's it's just crazy. You regret that for days afterwards. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I didn't we did mean all to get that. We did like our local check, but... hot food challenges. It was brutal. Um, yeah, Salvador Molly's, we have that one locally. And uh, we do the the burger was pretty, uh, the bungalow burger, yeah. which had some ghost chili fries and ghost chilies on the burger and world's hottest pizza. Some pretty brutal stuff. Yeah, we went through a chili phase for a little while. So that was kind of neat. 
I was at a bending get together just a couple of weeks ago, and one of the one of the party favors that the host handed out were uh, Carolina Reaper seasoned chips. And I walked okay. in there. I was I was like the fourth or fifth one there. And he goes, "Hey, do you want some chips?" And one of the one of the people who was there, Juliet Lancaster Avila, who is actually a very good bender, uh, despite weighing about a third of what I do, she goes, "Do not put that in your mouth. You'll regret it." <laughs> So we I actually have those advice. chips at our local 7-Eleven, the Pack You One Chip Challenge. That's, that's a poor idea, I have to tell you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one's brutal because it's just you can't help but that ghost chill, that Carolina Reaper powder getting all over your mouth. You just can't help it. It's going to happen. You're going to deal with some pain. Yeah, You're going to find brutal. it three weeks from now, too. But oh. I guess, you know, it's kind of like steel bending in a way. <laughs> I think the yeah. worst, though, still with Salvador Molly's, because I don't know what they do to their sauce. It's like they just grind up 500 habaneros and throw it in there, and they're like, eat all the sauce. It's good. It's not hot. And their fritters are good. But then two hours later, it's like a campfire sitting on your stomach, and you just want to die. It gets you <laughs> <That's>... later. <laughs> And like you said, that is a little bit like steel bending, where after the best bends, two hours later, you're like, oh, God, why does my elbow hurt? Oh, yeah, right. exactly. I just bent a whole bunch of stuff. That's right. Exactly, man. I always get the pain up in this area after a lot of bending. That's where I wind up getting. I do a lot of double over, so I wind up getting it there. Yeah. So in my double over, I usually start to cramp up right in this region here, and it's okay. it's usually my elbows that go first. But I'm uh, I'm kind of old and I'm decrepit, so you know it's all old sports injuries catching up with me. So uh, tell me about how you go through a, a bend mentally. What's it like before you go through a bend? And what's the, what's the experience like psychologically for you when you're going for like a big bend? So the one thing that I do is uh, I warm up almost to, uh, to a degree that it's, it's really over preparing for the bend. Because like I mentioned, I'm not, uh, I'm not a young guy. My joints are not in great shape. So I have a whole routine of things that I do to make sure all of my joints are ready to go. If I'm doing double overhand, I have to do some work with some Indian clubs and uh, swing the mace a little bit just to get my shoulders into position. There's kind of a, a thing that a lot of older guys will say where they'll say, oh, my arms got so big that I can't do double overhand anymore, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> which you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna question too many of them, but uh, I find that as imagine long Bobby as doing... Lashley might have a tough time. Oh, it, perhaps. <laughs> you know, Goldberg. I think with the yoke, he's gonna have a real hard time there. <laughs> um, but I find I've still got enough thoracic mobility that I can, if I can stretch out, I can still do seven, uh, eight inch steel. Um, but no matter what I'm doing, I have to get my heart rate up, get my whole body warm. And from there, I have to uh, I have to talk myself into thinking about what it means for the bend to finish. Most recent PR bend that I did was uh, 13 inches at a half inch. It was a braced bend. Oh wow! Um, it was it was a tough one. I had been That's working it. on that for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's but, like your thumb. That's a big piece of steel. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it went down easily. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to tell you it went down the first time I tried it either. Um, 
I had hit it uh, two or three times. And one time I just couldn't even move it. I got it maybe five or six degrees. One time I got it almost to parallel, but it was more V-shaped than it was U-shaped. And it just, you looked at it and you knew it wasn't done. So I'm sitting there saying, I've got a room full of people watching me here. Cause this was at, this was at a get together. That's always when I do my best bending is yeah. when people are watching. And I said, if I don't take this down, who the hell is going to? <laughs> and so you got to think about how you're going to approach it with the short stuff like that. I'm usually going to kink it across the knee with the longer stuff. Uh, I do a lot better with, uh, with an under the butt kink, but the whole point of, or the whole thing behind making sure you're going to get the bend is committing immediately. If you don't commit to the first hit, it's never going to go. And that's what I do. I have to throw my whole body into just that first hit. Once the first hit's done, the rest of it's pretty easy. Have you ever dealt with uh, like a mental block on that first hit? Like maybe going for a bar you, you couldn't kink before or anything like that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I took a little while off last year to try to, uh, oh gosh, it wasn't last year. You know, the whole pandemic thing has thrown off our senses of time. Um, but I took uh, three or four months off of steel bending entirely following, or, you know, probably in the second half of 2019. I was moving. I was doing some, uh, some stuff at work. I had a lot of extracurriculum stuff to do. And I just, you know, didn't have time for it. I was still lifting pretty regularly, but I wasn't really in shape to be, uh, to be doing steel bending. Um, so when I came back, I ordered some steel that is ordinarily stuff that I can totally handle. Uh, I grabbed some three quarter at 48 inch uh, big bars, which, you know, I don't want to say that they're easy bars because it took yeah. me a long time to get to them at the beginning. I uh, did a lot of five eighths bars at the beginning, worked my way down. But uh, these days, 48 inch uh, three quarters is uh, pretty run of the mill. And I got it and I came down to my basement where I do my bending, set it up, wrapped it up, started the heavy metal music flowing and nothing. And I was looking at it like, what is going on here? In May of this year, I had, in May of 2019, I had almost finished at Don Cummings competition, a 40 inch three quarters bar. And now I was having trouble. I got five or 10 degrees on this 48 inch bar and it just wasn't gonna move any further than that. So uh, what I had to do that day was I had to walk away from it because I knew if I kept going at it, I was getting so frustrated with it, I was gonna hurt myself. Yeah. Put it down for a week, came back, and it's hard to start a bar that's, uh, that's not quite kinked. Uh, it's hard to get it moving from there because part of what keeps it moving is that the steel gets hot. But I set my mind to it. I planned for a good five days. I said, I'm not going to bend again. I'm going to do my normal weightlifting and running and stuff, but I'm not going to bend again for another five days to let everything recover. And then I'm going to come in here and I am going to destroy this thing. 
And that's just what I had to do, man, because otherwise I was never going to hit a big bar again. Okay, smart, yeah. So uh, today, um, who do you look up to in bending? Who are you learning from? And uh, who's, you know, the people to watch out for? So <clears throat> as far as guys you look up to, there's going to be one answer you get from everybody. That's uh, going to be Don Cummings, who I'm uh, sure anybody who's familiar with the steel bending community uh, knows that name. Is one of the one of the uh, the best in the world at this point. Um, David Horn has uh, rankings that include some really big names as well. You can learn something by watching any bend that Ruben Hughes or Simon Stewart does. A couple of guys who uh, I've been paying a lot of attention to recently who I've been uh, picking stuff up from, David Wigren, who has been in the steel bending community for, you know, 10 15 years at this point he was quiet for a while too but he's been going really hard yeah, lately he's some big bends lately like i thought that he'd be coming back here and he'd maybe hit the marks that he had hit before but he's just been blowing everything away and it's been so impressive um but i've also been getting a lot of tips on styles that aren't traditionally strong styles for me from some guys who are uh, a little bit under the radar so uh, one of the best double underhand benders around right now is Sean Capusta, and he's going to roll his eyes when he hears me uh, say that. But he's given me a lot of help getting my double underhand ready What's to go. What's his uh, Instagram handle? He is Angry Beaver 316. I thought so. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I was yeah. thinking it was. Yeah, that guy is he's, he's tearing it up on double under. I know he, he criticizes himself now and then, but man. When he is on fire, he blows up some huge bins double under, and that's awesome to see. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really got some incredible strength double under. I know he's got uh, some issues getting into position for double over. So he's really, he's at this at this uh, disadvantage and he's still melting huge steel. And That's not only that, yep. but he he is able to give some really good pointers and he's really, with, without the advice that he gave me, I wouldn't have been able to do well in Don Cummings competition this year. Uh, because I really made some big improvements doing double under based on what he gave me. Um, Tom Morris, who's on Instagram, he's uh, T.O. Morris, I believe. Uh, he's really flying under the radar, but he's got a very strong leg crush. And a lot of, lot of the newer guys who are coming in from jujitsu have very strong leg crushes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not questioning anything on that. But Tom gave me a couple of really good pointers on uh the grip to start a bend in the yeah. thigh crush without having to try to uh do like a five or a four and a half inch bend up uh double overhand and uh it really helped me uh at least score a couple of points in the most recent steel shredder contest yeah i think uh i thought that as soon as i, I noticed there were more guys from uh mma and jiu-jitsu getting into it i thought that the leg crushes would be their specialty mainly because a huge aspect of martial arts is grounding you know it's your footing it's just grounding yourself and with years and years and years of training grounding you're going to have better traction on your feet you're just your legs aren't going to slip as much and i've seen uh some really good benders honestly do leg crushes and their feet slipping you know and i'm thinking well they don't have the right shoes on for this they should have like different shoes they should be trying to ground themselves there could be things that they could do to get a little more power 
in, in the leg crush. And I just think that's something that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see the sport evolve in that direction a little bit with guys from other avenues bringing in some tips that they've gotten through their training. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, Chris Stillwell, who's one of the the Michigan vendors, and uh, Amir Bayor, who has started, uh, Chris has done some really more traditional stuff. He's doing some long bar bending. He's doing a lot of oddly shaped bolts right now. So he's got like 14 by, uh, by half inch grade two bolts that he's snapping, uh, which is just incredible. Amir has gone just completely off into left field and he uh he started breaking horseshoes which five years ago if you'd asked somebody to snap a horseshoe it was just the conventional wisdom that it was impossible horseshoes don't break they just warp and then amir picked up a horseshoe and an hour later he had snapped it and now everybody's snapping horseshoes. Uh, Josh Goldthorpe snapped a horseshoe because Amir snapped a horseshoe first. Okay. So yeah, we had a uh, Dave Nisbet on who had done a barehanded snap into three pieces, um, and I imagine he was inspired by some of those guys doing it. Yeah, he's a little crazy. He's awesome. <laughs> I think you have to be a little crazy to to be any <laughs> good at this stuff. Yeah, especially barehanded bending. That's it. Gets a little nuts with that, man. I'm still having tr- trouble doing just a, a yellow nail barehanded double under. Yeah, it's it's not fun. It's not <laughs> no. something I'd I'd recommend anybody does. I think I've I think I did a, a th- like a three sixteenth six inch uh, barehanded uh, once at a at a St. Patrick's Day get together. So you can imagine how much I had to drink beforehand, uh, and just never again, man, never again. <laughs> It's so funny to uh, talk to Don Cummings and see him and see his Instagram posts and all that. And he seems, you know, like the nicest, shyest guy almost. And then it's like, I think I'm going to bend, you know, 200 nails today or something crazy. It's like, where does that come from, Don? Like, so Don, that's the warm up for him. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the stuff he does is just superhuman. Um, but that's that's one of the most interesting things about it, because when I went to my first grip competition, I said to my wife, uh, I'm going to go to a, a basement in New Jersey. I'm going to meet some strangers and we're going to compare hand strength. And she said, you're not going alone. I said, sure, I am. She goes, no, I'm coming with you so you don't get murdered. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds like somewhere you'd get murdered. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I've been back to that basement a couple of times and uh, only been in danger two or three times, I think. Um, But when we got there, we met uh, you guys, obviously, you know, Vinny, who I think uh, connected the two of us. Um, Vinny is a lawyer, my wife is a lawyer, and uh, Chez, who is uh, a really heavy duty gripper guy, uh, was there and he's a lawyer as well. So I get there and I'm like, I'm kind of expecting this grip competition to be full of, you know, lummoxes, right? And I'm like, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to be the only guy in the room with a three-digit IQ, you know, that sort of thing. And it's this bunch of really bright, really supportive, really helpful people. So Don is just like all of that on steroids. Don is a trial lawyer but he's also one of the most polite and most hospitable people I've ever met. 
His family is uh, just absolutely wonderful. His, his wife is just as hospitable as he is. They're both excellent cooks. Their kids are so nice. It's unbelievable that he has that dark place inside him <laughs> to melt the steel that he does. Well, I mean, obviously it doesn't manifest other places in his life, so I guess it has to come out somewhere. Well, he is a trial lawyer, so I mean... Well, there's that, that too, yeah. yeah, the trial lawyer thing too, so... so he's got to be at least part evil. Is there some secret underground club of lawyers that just are, you know, a little crazy? Vinny and Don and, you know, hold on a second. Yeah, I think that they just, I think that they just get so frustrated that they have to take it out somewhere, right? Yeah. Especially Vinny. Always wanted to carry, like, rip a case in half, you know, just a stack of papers like this. So, you know, now they can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Vinny's walked out of a couple of uh, appeals and gone, God damn it. Right? <laughs> and just torn the brief right in half. Don just snaps a red nail when he's interrogating a witness or something. Yeah, I just assume he does that for all of his closing arguments at this point. Yeah. By the way, guys, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Exactly. Agree with me, because I can crush this. I won't, but I could. <laughs> there's, the, there's the thing. It's the kind of the underlying threat of all of it. That's how you persuade a jury. That's right. In the old days, it was just a firm handshake, but now we've had to upgrade. So um, what do you think is the biggest mistake that new benders make or biggest thing that they overlook when they get into bending? So uh, kind of two facets of the same issue. One is going too hard at the beginning. And one way that they enable themselves to do that is uh, by going to double reps too early. So you can bend a lot heavier stock using double reps than you can yeah. using single reps. Um, particularly if you get, you know, a high quality set of leathers, like if you, uh, if you get uh, Haritos leather wraps and put them on top of like a, a, a good Cordura, like an Iron Mind pad or a Bender's Battlefield. Um, there, were, there was one guy uh, I knew who triple wrapped a red nail and bent it in like the first week he was bending. Um, that's a real good way to make sure that your tendons and your ligaments are not caught up to the work that you're doing. Yeah. So it's really fun to start with small stuff and work your way up and just see how far you can go. But if you haven't conditioned your hands, your wrists, your elbows, your tendons, your ligaments, you are going to find that breaking point the hard way. And that's something that people just uh, need to keep in mind. So what would yeah, you say absolutely. is the best way to actually condition your hands as a beginner? So as far as that goes, uh, I like to tell people to stick with a Cordura wrap uh, just because it's a lot harder on the hands. It'll rough your hands up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it gets your hands used to uh, all of the all the extra work they're going to be doing. Definitely use chalk. That'll uh, keep things from sliding around too much. It'll avoid the blistering that some people get. but early on buy a lot of really easy stock and don't build up in diameter build up in volume for a little yeah. while so you know if you can easily bend a 60 penny nail don't go straight for the 930 seconds don't go straight for the the stainless stay on 
trying to bend 10 or 20 60 penny nails before you move on too, uh, too much further. Yeah, I used some double leathers in the beginning a little bit. What I did is I did single leathers up to through the blue nail. And then I cut that down a little bit. I got it down to, we did this crazy short quarter inch short steel contest where we got down to like sub four inches and it was just oh, nuts. Wow. Um, and then after that, I went to the square and to do the square, I had to do double wraps. And I did the double wraps on quarter inch square and then double wraps on like hardware store five sixteenths inch. And then I didn't go up from there because I heard like, if you keep going up with double wraps much more, you're going to hurt yourself. So then I started trying to work uh, smaller wraps with uh, the bigger steel using like one leather wrap with a quarter inch or whatever. And I took some five sixteenths I had bent before and then wrapped it in the, um, the Ben Sport, the Canada ones, the mm -hmm. red pads from Ben Sport Canada. And then I proceeded to snap that and that was hell on my hands because I'd never used those pads before. I'd only used leather pads right. and I'd never tried to snap a five sixteenths before. So I was trying to do both those things for a first time and that was just crazy. So um, how do, you said the Horito leathers are really high quality. How do they compare to just like the Tandy leather you go buy at like a craft store? So all my leather wraps that I've gotten are the, uh, like the eight and a half by 11 square, whatever that you cut in half and you make, you know, two wraps out of one piece of leather. Uh, I'm sure you've seen that craft store, Tandy leather, whatever. Um, yeah, that's what I always wind up picking up. How's that compared to like the, Harito brand or other brands of, of bending stock leather? So the Harito is a little bit uh, thicker. Um, the most of what you're going to find that people call leathers, uh, about half of it'll actually be leather where it's, you know, soft on one side, hard on the other. Um, a lot of when people say they're running with leathers, they're actually using suede wraps, which are, so the Haritos are a little bit thicker suede. Uh, David Horn sells basically remnant suede wraps that are usually pretty good. Um, those you have to break in a little bit because they come out really soft and you have to get some chalk into them, get some sweat into them in order for them to hold their, their shape a little bit better, which is kind of the opposite of what you get from like the leather wraps that like Devin, uh, Devin Hoover, Devin who on, uh, uh instagram is selling where you actually have to soften them up before they go um for braced bending probably the best set of wraps i have they're practically uh cheating uh came from chris Ryder, who is hercules uh and they're like double thickness suede's that uh wrap on and they just give you so much extra leverage uh they shouldn't shouldn't be legal um but they are and i like to abuse that uh too within an inch of my life but the first wraps that i ever made i uh i actually bought a welding cloak from ebay or from amazon or something i cut that up into 10 by 4 and that's not too much different from what you get from david horn okay oh. And uh, those were the double wraps I used when I sprained my wrist for the first time, which is kind of a, a bending uh, rite of passage. I was working on what I thought was a 5 16th grade two at six inches um, because I had bent those. That was kind of where I was uh, where I was working at that time. This, I think, was about February of 2018. So I had been bending about six months at the time. Um, 
So I picked it up, tried to hit it, wasn't moving. So I leaned back, I gave it everything I could, loud snapping noise in my left wrist. Oh. Um, started swelling up, bruised. It turned out uh, it was actually an edging that I had wrapped up. Oh, so wow. It wasn't Oops, a 5 16th grade two, it was a 5 16th grade five. And wow. uh, that was like, you're, you're lucky to move that at all. <laughs> especially six months in so uh yeah uh, that's that's why you have to be real careful about your tendons and ligaments so would you say that's your biggest blooper and or blunder or you got any other good ones oh uh that's that's a pretty good one um but uh i think probably the story that uh i remember most that uh, where i'm kind of playing the goat is a goliath bar i don't know if you guys are familiar with that um, Josh Goldthorpe spent about a week uh, preparing for it, and then he just, you know, folded it like a paper clip last summer. The bending class of 2020 is just unbelievable. <laughs> um, but I had been working up to a Goliath bar for a while, and we were getting ready to go. I was working out a lot at the time with uh, the Astoria crew, so Vinny Rivelis, uh, Anton Torella, uh, Anthony Clarino and Jose Cabrera. And we were getting ready to go to Gripmas uh, 2019. It was the last Gripmas that was being hosted by Chris Rice. And so it was like one of the biggest grip events I've ever been to because we were all going out there to honor the memory of this contest that had been held for 10 years. Chris Rice was retiring from grip entirely and from promoting contests and he just came out of retirement and he's promoting one in November of this year as well anyway but so I decided I was gonna do a Goliath bar at Gripness and my backup plan was if I can't finish it the entire community is going to be there. Don Cummings was there to do a record for David Horn. Anton was going to be there. Anton does some braced bending. Um, everybody who's ever done any braced bending was going to be there in the room. So late in the evening, several beers in, I go out to my car. I bring in the Goliath bar. I'm like, guys, we're going to do this. I figure if I don't do this, we will all work together we'll give it to chris it'll be his trophy nobody in the room myself included could move that bar i don't know if we just had the most unnaturally difficult goliath bar in the history of braced bending but some really strong guys and myself uh tried to move that bar don cummings spent five minutes it would flex a little bit and then it would just bounce back I think it audibly laughed at me at one point. <laughs> and to this day, that bar is still straight. I have never been able wow. to move that particular bar. Huh. It's unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah. Fuck that bar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, you know, at least he came out of retirement. So, you know, you can. Bend it later and give it to him when he retires the next yeah, time. Second retirement party, bring it back. Hopefully, hopefully everybody will be stronger and get it next time. You can only hope. Leave it outside. Let it let it weaken a little bit. <laughs> you'll, you'll just bring it out and they'll cuss you out. 
Yeah, maybe I'll just leave it outside and see if it'll rust through a little bit. Maybe I'll bust out the Dremel a little bit to, to prep it ahead of time. There you go. Yeah. Put it in a vise and just clench it down a few times, waking it up. Yeah, yeah. Just see if we can see if we can flex it just a little bit. Heat it up and cool it down and heat it up and cool it down. Get out the blowtorch. Absolutely. That's oh, I think I know what I'm gonna be doing for the next couple of weeks before we head out to Ohio. <laughs> um Chris Chris has done some really interesting stuff as well. He does some coaching for his local high school for the football and the like the track and field teams with the throwers. And he'll uh, he'll bring his football players over to the gym and have them do short braced bends with like three eighths stock because he says these kids don't do any manual labor anymore. They don't know what this feels like. And so it's one of the ways that he mentally conditions football players. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So speaking of, you know, the mental condition involved with uh, bending, how do you deal with the adrenaline dump after you get a big PR? So it's really tough. Um, I, you know, especially with the fact that I'm warming up quite as much as I do, um, I usually will hit a pre-workout before a, a big bend. So afterwards, I am just absolutely dying. So what I try to do, if it's possible, is I try to work my way down with a couple of cool down bends. I find snapping is usually really good for that. Okay. So uh, if I don't have anything ready to go uh, that's you know, kind of in the half inch or three eighths uh, range. I do uh, the uh, oval nails that I call the evil nails that are the uh, 65 millimeter uh, lost head oval nails that they use in England. Uh, those are a real good way to kind of get a little bit of a forearm pump, but also cool yourself down because there's only so much you can do moving them back and forth unbraced wrapped in one wrap until they snap. They'll usually take about, uh, it takes me about seven to 10 minutes to do four of them. And then I find I'm usually uh, able to calm down pretty well. But uh, often I'm right now in my little uh, teaching studio, which is spitting distance from where I do my bending and my lifting. As often as not, I'll just end up over here, just melting into my chair, watching stupid videos on YouTube because I use up that much of myself when I'm doing a big bend. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had no idea how taxing bending was until I started to, once I got the right technique and started bending bigger stuff, it's, you realize it's a whole body thing and it's monstrous. Now, have, uh, have you worked much with the big braced bends? I haven't done any brace bend really. So it's, uh, you know, I know what you're talking about when you do the, the really big double overhand stuff, but your body is going to hurt in entirely different ways when you start doing big braced bends. And I, yeah, I say I've done when the one snap with the uh, five sixteenths by seven in the red pads. That's the only one I've tried. And that took me like a half an hour. I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, yeah. That's the funny thing about snapping. The first one will take you an hour. The second one will take you 15 minutes. The third one, you're down to three minutes or something. It's unbelievable how much more efficient you get. As yeah, you I had no that. idea how to open it up. This is, that was a big part of it. 
You know what uh, What really I experienced that with were uh, the lying down snaps that uh, David Horn has had us doing a lot oh, of recently. Okay. That's so, first of all, completely unfair. Just just hand everything to the jujitsu guys right <laughs> now. Um, but that's an area where I had to figure out what to do because I had no idea. Uh, and I ended up kind of stumbling on a technique where you brace on a hamstring instead of bracing on the side of the thigh because you get a little bit better leverage that way. Um, apparently that's uh, that's not what everybody does, but that's what worked out well for me. And that like um, like in the in the grappling sports, going to the ground is also a pretty good way to get yourself calmed down after you do a big snap. Um, I used to referee a lot of wrestling, and if two guys were getting a little unruly, you'd find a reason to uh, penalize one of them and put them on the mat. And uh, going to the mat is is a good way to calm yourself down too. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Yeah, I like hitting on the heavy bag sometimes afterward helps me get some of that angst out because it's yeah, it gets you pretty fired up. Oh, it definitely can, and then there's just nothing left afterwards. Um, I try not to schedule uh, a bending session before I have to be anywhere. It's usually the last thing I'll do in a day. I tried bending in the mornings for a little while, and I just found it absolutely ruined the first class I was going to teach. What do you think is the best accompaniment to bending exercise-wise? So uh, definitely... I do some of my best bending when I do my heavy deadlifts because it's a full body warm up. It's going to get your entire body going. It activates your whole central nervous system. Um, but if you're talking about doing a full on program, I didn't really start to be able to do well with double overhand until I started doing some overhead pressing really more intensely than I previously had. Uh, Derek Graybill, who is an incredible bender, tells me he benches four times a week. I don't bench four times a week so I can bend, but uh, when I started getting a lot better at strict pressing overhead, doing a lot of log to do the weird positions, or just doing a lot of straight up Olympic bar or axle pressing, that was when I started to really see uh, things building up. So I think that if somebody's not doing really solid heavy overhead pressing and they're trying to progress on double overhand bending that is the one thing that they absolutely need to start working with huh. i wonder if that's had something to do yeah because we were uh, focused on doing log lifting while i was getting into bending and my overhead press went up a decent amount yeah, I'm good at overhead pressing, and, but I suck at double overhand bending. So there you go. Yeah, he doesn't have the, the flexibility back there, but uh, he's crushed some like blue nails like they're nothing just right here. You know, nice. so the old I mean, Heslep style. Yeah, exactly. Well, except not not quite, you know, straight out, which is really tough. I tried the, the Heslep style. That's a tough style. And I tried yeah, it laying it down once. So it wound up being like, you know, you're really like this because I was laying on my stomach and that was just dumb. Yeah, oh, it's miserable. My shoulders dumb. and whatnot. Are there any styles that you completely uh, just avoid out of like the five major styles? Heslep, double over, double under, and uh, vertical? Uh, so I really, uh, I don't do a whole lot of Heslep um, just because, you know, I don't build my power in my wrists. That's just, 
you know, not my thing. My power comes from the fact that I've got, you know, a big back and I've been building my shoulders up and really uh, from the technique more than anything else. Haslep, you have to have your technique right, but you also have to be really freaking strong. <laughs> and that's just not my, uh, my area. Um, my worst style right now is reverse. Uh, for a long time, it was double underhand. Um, but that's something that I'm continuing to try to build on because, you know, the more well-rounded you get as a bender, the better you're going to get at the styles you are good at. So when you're working reverse, you really learn a lot about pain tolerance as well as build up the strength of those wrists that are going to support you through those heavy double overhand and the heavy braced bends. Yeah, I find the reverse awkward as heck. Oh, I I got to learn the technique for double overhand. I got a huge chest, big shoulders, big back, and I just can't bend that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, have the, over a 300 pound bench, uh, over two, you know, almost a 200 pound log. I should be able to bend this stuff. You really should be. I agree. <laughs> um, and I think uh, one of the things that's been really useful for me in that is working with, uh, working with a mace, which you could just swing a sledgehammer, but using it in like a 360, doing pendulums, um, just working it with like the old school mace bell style uh, exercises, that's really helped me open up as well as uh, doing a lot of uh, resistance band work, doing a lot of uh, lap mobility, as well as band snatches and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Because I have shoulders like old rusty gears. This one used to pop out in uh, a stiff breeze. It once fell out while I was sleeping and uh, my girlfriend got up to get a glass of water before she helped me pop it back in. That was how I knew it was over with her. That was just the end of it for me. Uh, she was an EMT. So, you know, she, she really knew what she was doing. But yeah, I was all wrapped up in the blanket and I just woke up like, heard a snap and I'm like, eh, something's wrong here. So it's taken a lot to get back into condition so that I can do the stupid, stupid things that I do. That's fantastic. So uh, just condition for the stupidity. I got exactly, you. Exactly. Awesome. So um, what wrestlers are you paying attention to? And uh, who do you think is going to be a top superstar in the not too distant future in wrestling? We watch so, a lot of wrestling, so we, you know, we know a decent amount of it. So, uh, I mean, I, I was super happy when uh, PCO was big. I love the, what he's still doing. Yeah. Um, his manager, uh, Destro, used to be a big grip guy in Canada. He was Mike Destroyer Roy. Um, he lost about 100 pounds since the last time he was competing. Um, guys that I like who are kind of uh, who are kind of on the up and coming here. I mean, I heard uh, Rick Rude had some serious grip. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he heard was. Much of the stories about that, I heard he had monstrous grip. I think uh, him or Andre the Giant would have been the ones to close the four. Yeah, uh, if there was going to be anybody. Um, let's see. I saw some great guys out in uh, July. We headed out to Philadelphia and saw. Uh, it was uh, MLW, I believe. Uh, Alex Hammerstone is just turning into a really, really excellent wrestler. Um, love what the Von Erichs are doing uh, over okay. in MLW as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I got to tell you, uh, of all the people I've been enjoying 
most recently, uh, the bouncers in ROH uh, and Ken Dixon have really been just absolutely killing it for me. Uh, they're not going to be your your best mat wrestlers, but man, there's just something about a couple of chubby guys who smoke cigars and drink beer that uh, speaks to me somehow. Yeah, I mean, it's an entertaining aspect of wrestling. You don't get to see in a lot of the main circuits anymore because they're so politically correct with their character choices now. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like the old school feel Yeah, when you get that, you know, absolutely. Um, Matt Riddle also, I know he's not uh, super popular now. I really hope he gets released soon so he can go and, you know, be Matt Riddle again. Yeah, go back oh, yeah. into uh, MMA. Yeah, exactly. I would love to see it. Yep. I always wanted to see Lashley and Lesnar Lockhorn somehow. Oh, man, that's just that's a dream match. I'd love to see it uh, even today. Uh, it's not what it would have been a few years ago. But, um, you know, Brock Lesnar, I'm, I'm going to date myself here. He won the NCAAs the year that I graduated from high school. So all the way that I was wrestling in open contests long after I should have been retired, I was watching him work his way up through OVW, yep. make it to uh, WWE and then go and after winning wrestling, go and beat some guys' faces in. It was just an unbelievable career track. Uh, would have loved to, to follow that one myself. Yeah, absolutely. We were pretty stoked to have Todd uh, Beecraft at our competition and he told us some really good old wrestling tales told us about oh. wrestlemania 3 and uh he gave All us that a, stuff yeah he gave us a, a picture of wrestlemania 3 with one of the wrestlers who had signed it was there oh it's just so cool oh that's fantastic that's yeah. yeah he had some really good stories to tell about that you know it it, it used to be a, a connection between wrestling and strongmen that has kind of gotten broken away from over the past few years that I really would love to see come back. You used to have guys like the crusher and, yeah. you know, even to some extent, Bill Kazmaier was doing it guys who really had to be able to hold their own Dr. Death, Steve Williams, classic, uh, there as well. I was hoping half yeah. Thor was going to get into wrestling, but yeah. he didn't end up going that direction because there's so many pictures of him and Vince McMahon and Shane together and, all that and and everybody, yeah. like come on half thor yeah I'm, I'm deeply disappointed though he's cut so much weight he he, he just has. happens to look like a really strong guy who happens to be seven feet tall now yeah i liked him when he was more of a bear yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah um i thought they would have done some of uh, that angle with braun Strowman, to tell you the truth yeah i was really surprised i felt like that was kind of uh, a wasted opportunity because he was he was such a, a talented strong man. I know he wasn't literally the world's strongest man, but with all the promotion they did with Mark Henry, you would have loved to see something there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I thought that would have been yeah, it would have been a good person to, you know, pass the torch onto in that in that respect. Now you got that one big guy that kind of looks like a 12-year-old. That's working with that really good wrestler, technical wrestler. What the heck's his name? Talking about Omos? No, he's all, oh yeah, the crazy guy uh, that won Money in the Bank last year. Uh, oh, Big E? No, the year before. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here, guys. I'm I can't sorry. remember his name. But he really does. He looks like he's 12. <laughs> hmm. 
off thing about it. I can't remember his name. We'll, we'll add a note to the, the podcast notes here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Omos, mm. that's a monster. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he winds up, you know, how he progresses for sure. Yeah, uh, Jim Cornette says he's almost ready to be in the ring right now. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to uh, to see how things develop for him. I would love to have seen him get some indie shows in back in the USWA days, where they could send him somewhere to learn off TV. Um, but I think that he's going to be something to to really be scared of in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's nice that he he's. Definitely, you know, if he has some sort of a giantism or a pituitary gland thing, it isn't extremely obvious. Um, he looks like he's almost naturally, you know, that size. And that's, you know, very unique. I mean, there's few guys out there that are that big without some sort of a, you know, growth disorder that's making him that big. I mean, you got Shaq and maybe a couple other guys, but it's pretty cool that he's that size and he can move, you know, pretty well. He's yeah, working it's... with uh, Chad Gable. Guy working with Chad Gable. Oh, you're talking about... Uh, Otis? Yeah, oh, Otis. Yes, yes, there we go. Yes. Otis yeah. is a monster. Chad Gable, best technical wrestler. Yeah, did you see that uh, that promo where he rips his shirt off? Otis? I like Otis. Okay. You were talking about drunk guy. Just, you know. just, just saying, I've never seen a shirt ripped off a dude as easily as Otis ripped his shirt off. That was easier than yeah. anybody I've ever seen do it in all the 80s and all time before. I mean, his shirt just flew off him. That was crazy. Yeah. Man has unbelievable hand strength. Yeah, you know, he's, you're talking he, about guys drinking beer, smoking cigars, and that's who I thought of for some reason. Otis. <laughs> yes. Steaks, steaks yeah. and weights. Yes. Yeah. 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 His, his before, back in the day. Yes. I loved that. With heavy machinery. Yeah. I loved that segment that they had. Yes. Blue collar working men. That's what we have for strong man going to a wrestling is Otis right there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not a bad character. I got to tell you. Um, He's uh, he's he's doing good work. Um, he's he's doing God's work, getting the fat guys out there. Because um, you know, hey, his I mean, Mandy Rose segment was inspired. That's for sure. <laughs> Mandy Rose <laughs> is inspired. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, um, what's the most important piece of equipment you got in your home gym? Safety squat bar. It's a yoke style bar. Uh, it's got handles, it's a camber bar. Uh, it allows you to do your squats and stay a little bit upright without taxing your shoulders. I don't have great mobility. I get very yeah. apprehensive when I've got a lot of weight on the bar. We so use a duffalo to, bar, a curve bar. So very it's not similar. quite the same, but it helps a little bit, yeah. Um, I also find that because it helps you stay a little bit more upright, you get a little bit more hamstring in there and it helps me drive the lift that I really care about, which is my deadlift. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we don't like the high bar straight squat as much. I mean, it's just, it's tough, you know, it's top heavy and it's a little bit awkward. And if, you know, you aren't super into weightlifting or super, you know, your core isn't perfect and your legs aren't perfectly, you know, set right, then you may have trouble with that. And so we found that the curve bar is a lot more forgiving. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier on the shoulders. Do you guys bench with the curved bar too? No, haven't. No, we bench uh, with a like a, um, a Swiss bar that also has sure. a, a concave to it or whatever. So yeah, yeah, you get a little bit of extra motion that way. It's uh, it's a little nice, you know. Yeah, no, I haven't tried the the curved bar much for benching. That would be, I'd imagine, similar. It goes down a little further, and your your you know arms are a little more out. So. 
Yeah, exactly. If you're, if you're using something that's already concave, you're, you're probably getting all that you would get out of the, uh, the duffalo that way, though. Yeah, I like the football bar because I like the you know, straight grip as opposed to the perpendicular grip. Yeah, that's a lot more comfortable. That's one of the reasons I like the logs so much better than the straight up ollie bar or, uh, or axle pressing. It's just a hell of a lot more comfortable on uh, these old rusty shoulders. See, I'm different. I, I don't care what you give me. I'll bench it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Put some weight on a damn bicycle. Have you have you benched a keg? I've tried. Yes. Very difficult. Surprisingly yeah. difficult yeah. for the weight. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, the first I contest. The squash I... pipe. That's crazy too. Oh man, that's man. fun. Um, the uh, what is it? The earthquake bar that you you put bands and kettlebells on. Yep. Oh, that that makes you feel really weak, really fast. I'll tell you. Now we haven't got to use one of those, but we're going down to a buddy's house in October that has one, and uh, he also has a mammoth bar and like a moss wrestling setup. We're gonna try out some things that we haven't got to try out. Oh, so nice. we're pretty excited about that. We'll probably have to try out the earthquake bar when we're there for sure. Yeah, moss wrestling has always struck me as a, a really good way to hurt yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know that I know the injuries aren't nearly as bad as uh, as I expect them to be, but you know, at full extension like that, it it just seems like it's it's uh, asking for trouble. It seems like you really need to have good flexibility throughout your body if you're going to get into moss wrestling. Out. When, I, when I saw it, I thought, okay, well, I'm a really flexible person. I might be able to do that without dying. That's pretty much the way my brain registered it. I'm like, oh, you aren't flexible. You're gonna hurt yourself, or be Mark Felix, one of the two. That's also a possibility. Yeah, yeah. You just be Mark Felix. That's fine. I mean, you could always be Mark Felix. That's all, almost always going to make huge. you better off. I mean, that that'll cover your moss wrestling deficiencies right there. Yeah. Um, I always thought it, when they uh, deadlift money sacks, it'd be fun to try to bench those. Oh yeah, yeah. The the silver dollar bench. Wow. We're through the looking glass here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> That's nuts. That would be something. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh. That's an awesome deadlift, though. That record stood for so long. Tom McGee. Oh, yeah. Speaking of wrestlers, like 30 odd years. Yeah, way too long. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's just an unbelievable amount of power. And uh, that's, it's a very awkward height for me i know everybody's leverages are a little bit different yeah. but that's just like 18 inch right yes yeah being able to set up at that level is uh so it's basically and, the same as a deadlift you know to wagon wheels at mics yeah it's perfect yeah i've always done better on uh like the smaller wagon wheels like the 13 inch setup is really kind of in my sweet spot there okay yeah and so what is the, uh what is a bar at just standard uh i want to say it's uh i want to say it's a nine inch That's what I was uh, center right nine inch. yeah because i want to say that the standard 45 plate is 18 inches from top to bottom okay yeah. so, so the 13... what uh what big records are you following or the chases of in uh powerlifting or strongman or any of that so uh, obviously, Half Thor's big deadlift record last year was, yep. you know, that was uh, the really big one. Um, but I've been, 
let's see, Iron BB uh, went for the Axle record uh, overhead a couple of weeks ago. I'd love to see him get that clean in a contest. Yeah. Uh, they gave it to him. It was in a fourth attempt. And just between you and me, it didn't look locked out to me. Yeah. I'm just saying. So I'd love to see him uh, just absolutely dominate that weight. Um, but really what I'm following is uh, it's not going to be a new record anymore. But one of the guys who I started following when I got into Strongman was Rob Kearney. Uh, the oh, yeah. World's, world's Strongest Gay. Uh, he was one of the guys. Uh, first he was at a local two. competition. Just signed my buddy's inch dumbbell. Yeah. They Fantastic. pressed the inch dumbbell when he was there and he signed it. Of course he pressed it too, because why wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, if, <laughs> if you're Rob Kearney, of course you will. Uh, he was one of the first guys to split jerk a log. And I just thought that was really neat. He's been, yeah. uh, he's had some medical trouble uh, and he's recovering. So I'm hoping to see him get back to his former glory on the log. That'd be awesome. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Guy's incredible on the log. Yeah. Unbelievable. It shows you what technique can do. He, he was a world record holder as a middleweight. Yeah. It's like uh, the little guy on Hummer. I mean, he's not little, but looking at all the world's strongest men, he seems a lot littler than them is the Hummer tire deadlift record. Jeff Caron. No, oh, the yeah. other guy that tied him. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And these guys who are pulling like this unbelievable amount of weight just don't look necessarily like the sort of people who are going to who are going to be pulling that. It's kind of the same thing like um, when you see, uh, do you guys know Robert Najedley? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't have to say anything more about that, do I? He's this no. 160 pound guy. Uh, not a not a spring chicken. You say 116. I said 160. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, 118 but. is where he competes in. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he's a little dude. Yeah, he's yeah. that small. That's even smaller than I expected. And for a long time, he was uh, probably still could if he wanted to bending stuff that just is completely out of my range. And I'm standing here like I outweigh this guy two to one, almost three to one. How does he store the muscle to do this? So he's, he's an inspiration for everybody. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like the guy we just interviewed, uh, Yvonne Shook. I mean, oh, yeah. 18, 19 years old, you know, he's smashing the three and a half, like it's just a toy, you know, and that's just absurd. Where does the power come from? Cause he's not a giant dude either. He's six foot 185. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's big enough that you'd be scared of him if he met you in a dark alley and crushed a three and a half, but yeah. 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 Um, let's see. Uh, David uh, Shamey or Shamey. I don't know how he pronounces yeah. it. Sounds strong, but man. Yeah. Oh. Much, much bigger guy, but he's just been destroying the grippers as well. It's, it's just been a, a pleasure to watch. As he as he climbs the mash monster ladder, that's what I think about Tanner Merkel. Though I look at him and I'm like, he's not that big. <laughs> Tanner was Tanner was interesting because for a long time his deadlift was what held back his axle. He could carry, he could pick up anything he could pick up on an axle that he could yeah. pick up on an ollie bar. He just needed to start building the hamstrings and building the back up because. You know, he just didn't have the traditional powerlifting muscle. 
I think that just comes from the climber background. We uh, heard the same thing with Joe Hodgson and uh, he wound up getting a slight injury from, you know, deadlifting the inch all the time because he wasn't used to one hand deadlifting 200 pounds in any way, you know, shape or form. That was hard on his body. Just imagine that being hard on your body. I mean, yeah. Who would have thought? It's just incredible to think, you know, that, that those climbers have that much support strength in their hands without the rest of their body having to, to do anything for them to get it up. You know, yeah. we're, we're taxing our entire body to do anything with it. And it's just all in their arms and hands. Boom. I have to activate my lats to go to the bathroom. These guys <laughs> are just like, it's unbelievable. It is. It's absolutely incredible. So um, who do you think? He's mentioned Shamey. Um, who do you think has the best chance of uh, closing the four anytime soon? If that's happening. Oh, gosh. Let's see. Uh, I think when he's back to 100%, which should be fairly soon, uh, Chez is going to be, uh, he, he should be closing three and a half anytime now. Uh, he should be ready to close the four as soon as he's doing dedicated training on it. I've watched uh, him he, on the grip board for a long, long time. Yeah. He's uh, he's a real asset to the community. He's given a lot of really good advice on training for that. He was ready to close the three and a half at Gripmas in 2019, but uh, had a, a pulley injury uh, doing a, a little, you know, get together on the uh, tips tester, which is one of oh, the yeah. reasons that I will never use the tips tester again. Um, he's going to be in there. Uh, yeah, we've been, we've been told not to use the tips, uh, tips tester as well. Yeah, it's um, if, if you're going to be climbing, it might be a different story, but uh, I just don't think that I need that level of four, uh, you know, four finger strength. Um, I'm surprised Carl Myerskopf hasn't closed to four yet, uh, officially, you know, to, okay. to certify on it. Uh, I'm sure he has <laughs> yeah. unofficially, um, but he's uh, just a, a beast of a man. And if he wanted to, I think uh, John Mouser could probably make a run at it with some dedicated training. Okay. Yeah. I know he's uh, kind of in the shadows there. Uh, he's also kind of a dark horse with the steel bending just because he doesn't specialize in anything. And that's what he specializes in, variety. But if he dedicated himself to spending a year or two, he uh, has the strength and has the, the will to dominate just about anything he wanted to. Oh, yeah. Do you think we will see a uh, world strongman starting to go into grip sport? We've seen Mark Felix dabble in it. Um, Brian Shaw has done random grip feats as he's getting older and looks like he might uh, retire soon from world strongman. And Martin Lesis is in second place in the super series right now. So are we going to start seeing these strongmen switch over to a uh, grip sport? I think we're going to start seeing a lot of guys uh, training it a little bit more intensively. I don't know if we're ever going to see uh, Lisas at King Kong, for example. Uh, I think that we're probably going to have to have a hell of a lot more prize money for that uh, before we get the, the really big names. But I think we are definitely going to see, especially uh, the guys who are kind of off in the odd hogging area of things, doing a lot more crossover events at like the Fit Expos. And I think that's gonna be really healthy for the sport. 
I think uh, Jujimufu has been very good for the sport, uh, just getting it a little bit more exposure because I'm not one of the people who believes that grip sport inherently has to be in basements, uh, you know, with the smallest group of people possible. I don't think it's bad when new people come into our sport uh, or when new people start bending. I think that's how the sport grows. And uh, I'm happier with more people doing it, uh, even if I'm no longer in the top percentile. Yeah, we 100% agree. We have a lot of obstacle course racing champions come over and do grip sport with us and try out things. And I mean, their sport kind of transitions into grip sport since they swing around so much by their hands and stuff anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you love to see people coming in who approach it from a different uh, a different viewpoint, which is one reason the jujitsu guys have been so good for the bending community. Yeah, we were... Uh shocked by what some of the light lighter weight OCR guys could do on some of the uh the grip lists one of the guys that had never done grip before ever went into Kong and got like eighth place in his division just because of the fact that he swung his body on so many odd implements for years it makes yeah. a big difference it's neat yeah and and you see the same thing like um Cody Christensen uh yeah has been has been doing kind of the same thing he's he's transitioning over into the broader strongman area as well right now uh just talk to him about a competition he's going to be doing uh, out in my neck of the woods which will be a lot of fun um yeah so i'm getting into some natural stone lifting yeah so it's way that's, cool. that's some really badass stuff Stone is a lot of fun it's a good good thing to do for martial arts training you know it's that unbalanced weight it's very similar to dealing with lifting a person Unpredictable. If you can, That's what you I can like lift to use stone, for overhead pressing. It's uh, giant rocks that are lopsided. And you yeah, we have a couple weird rocks that we use for overhead pressing. It's great. Weird on one side compared to the other. Oh, you, you'll love having to stabilize that stuff. Um, Mouser does the same thing. It's just that he uses an unevenly loaded barbell. Oh, well, there he, you go. He's also completely nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's that. <laughs> Yeah, the natural stones are just one of the best ways that you can get into this sort of thing. Just going out and looking for something to lift is one of the most fun ways you can spend a weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's just fun to see people take them on. I mean, we've had some giant monsters take on these stones. It's, it's a hoot. I can only imagine. So um, if you could start your training over again today, what would you do different and why? So... When I got started, I wasn't doing a whole lot of traditional powerlifting. Um, I got started doing a lot of steel bending and for a long time, that was something that I was proud of. I was proud that I was only bending and I wasn't doing a lot of weightlifting to sort of cheat my way along. I was building real functional strength and that was stupid. Yeah. Um, I was building my strength unevenly. You know what though? I want to make a point about that. Uh, yeah. You hold your thought. You see benders only post bending a lot of the time. They'll just post bending. And sometimes they'll just post bending successes. And that's all you'll see. Just dudes that are going in their basement and grabbing steel and successfully bending it over and over and over again. And that's what a bender is. You know, at least that's kind of the thought you got. At least, I don't know, when I first started researching grip and bending, you know, years ago, and it was just mainly the grip board as the primary source of info. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you saw just so much, just this is all we're doing. We're bending steel. And you never knew how they were getting strong enough to do it. It's, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, I I didn't really get it together until I was reading through uh, Yuha Ledimaki, who I think is uh, on Instagram. He's uh, Nigwaka, I think is his name. Uh, Finnish guy. Uh, he was getting real close to bending the gold nail. He had done it a couple of times in uh, iron mine pads with rubber bands. Oh, wow. And yeah. Uh, I That's really close. I don't know why he stopped. Uh, I hope that someday he comes back to it and crushes that uh, because he's got it in him. But I was reading through one of his threads and just kind of offhandedly, he goes, yeah, you know, I think the most important thing to bending is building a strong back. And it sort of clicked for me that he's not just bending, he's doing a lot of stuff to support it. And that's, that allowed me to make a lot of progress that I otherwise wouldn't have made. Awesome. I think you see that a lot with uh, Dave Nisbet too, because mm. he does strongman competitions. He does other stuff, and you see him working out normal a lot of the time, other than him just doing crazy bends or snaps or whatever he's doing. Yeah, Dave Kirshen is another one who's coming at this with a very, very strong traditional powerlifting background, and he's really started to specialize in the scrolling which is a completely different use of the muscle that he spent so many years building. Um, but you, you have to remember that he's not a rookie. He's not somebody who just picked up metal and started scrolling it. He's been building his body for decades at this point yeah. in his life. Yeah, absolutely. So um, before we let you go, do you have any questions for us or anything else you want to say about bending or grip or any advice you have for anybody listening? Um, so I think the only piece of advice that I really have is that you should absolutely try it. And if you don't like it, try it again. And then you know, if you don't like it twice, that's probably fine. But it's going to hurt like hell the first time because you won't know what you're doing. But once you've gotten a chance to kind of figure it out, spend a little bit of time with it, that first bend feels like nothing else. I still have the first thing that I ever bent. It was actually just a little screw. It was about three inches long. It was maybe three sixteenths. Uh, I had wrapped it in a bandana and just bent it, you know, kind of overhand, but I felt like a completely different person after I bent that screw wrapped in a bandana. It, lets you do things you never thought were possible. I never thought I'd be able to open a horseshoe and turn it into a heart, but now I can. It's not a traditional strength pursuit, but I think everybody should try it once or twice to see if it speaks to you the same way it speaks to me. Yeah, absolutely. I felt a similar manner the first time I got some steel bent. It was pretty awesome. It's It's "Ah, unbelievable. I'm not as big as the world's strongest men, but I can do something they do. And then you have a trophy at the end. Yep. Yeah. And now I've uh, I've bent one of the new red nails, and I can think in my head, oh, I'm as strong as Larry Wheels. You know, <laughs> he couldn't do it, and I can do it. So, so you're stronger than Larry. Wheels. Stronger than Larry Wheels. Exactly. exactly. Then I just look at Larry Wheels, and I'm like, oh man. Oh, maybe I'm not as strong <laughs> as him. <laughs> I can believe that, but I probably shouldn't tell him. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, in my mind, I look that good. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't even look that good in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got to keep it realistic here. <laughs> you have to have a certain level of uh, self-loathing to really get good at bending. So you can't you can't believe that you look like Larry Wheels if you want to be a good bender. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's true. We saw what happened to him. He knows how he looks. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. It makes perfect sense. We've solved <laughs> yeah. this problem. That's what's wrong with him. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So, any questions for us before we let you go? Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just curious. What are your big bending plans? What do you guys want to do, and what are you doing to get there? Um, I'm going to slowly probably work my way uh, down in pads on the red nail, and eventually probably try maybe someday try to start it. Um, I've done it one time in double leathers, and it was a hell of a lot harder than the 516ths uh, ever built that I bought from the hardware store. Um, it was quite a bit tougher than that. It was one of the newer red nails, so yep. I heard they're like drill rod or whatever. So I was really shocked at how hard it was. So I have a lot of work to do to, uh, to get that down to single leathers and then get it down to IM pads. But I'll probably slowly start work on that. Yeah, yeah I don't want to go beyond the red nail in double leathers i would rather i'm good there and i'd rather you know work on bringing the pads back then yeah uh, obviously after you end up taking care of the red you can always double back up and start moving on to your engines and such uh jaden majenski was doing a lot in double wraps last year um he's uh, unfortunately he seems to have moved on with his life but i thought he was another one who was standing uh, a good chance of bending the gold nail at some point yeah yeah how about that's you my theory about the double wraps is you can use them but only go so far because i agree you will hurt yourself using them too. when you start feeling it up here you know the next day like you've done a double and you don't your hands don't hurt that bad your wrists are okay but you're really feeling it here and in your elbows then you know like that's probably the max you should be doing with double leathers yeah you don't want to you don't want to go too much further than that uh the the joints just will not thank you and i've seen enough guys with sprained wrists and swelling and bruising that you don't want to make people do that yeah i will um try to learn how to double overhand bend sometime because uh i have the strong wrists and stuff so i should be able to smash a red nail easy i just can't so <laughs> You could always go the Capusta route and just yes. do everything double underhand. I'm, I'm going to talk to him about that and talk to Angry Beaver uh, and be like, hey, how do you do this double underhand stuff? Oh, if, gosh, he'll he'll give you great advice. If not, I'm just going to contact Dave Nisbet and be like, let's start snapping, bro. <laughs> also, uh, also a really great way to make sure that you're uh, getting in as much work as you can. Oh, the snapping will give you so many bad blisters. It's amazing. Yeah, that and uh, uh, Triple D on uh, oh. Instagram. Yep. That guy. He's, Dan Dring is just Yeah, we have him coming up. Dan yeah, we have him coming up for an interview not yeah. too long. Yeah, the, the bolts that he has snapped, again, it's stuff And the that, time he does it. Yeah, a year ago, I would have told you it was impossible. Like, does it during a commercial or something? Yeah. One commercial, not yeah. even a break. <laughs> He could beat Mike Tyson in a knockout fight almost before yeah, he could snap that, a nail before Mike Tyson knocks somebody out. We should set up a time trial on that. We should see what's happening there. Uh, yeah, it's Mike Tyson versus Logan Paul and Dan Drake versus a red nail. Who goes faster? 
well shit now i want to see all of this are you guys going to promote it hell yeah that'd be the greatest pay-per-view event oh man yeah no you you guys i'm on board with this just let me know where i can sign up to help fund it yeah exactly <laughs> but i mean i've snapped a little bit like a yellow nail and a blue nail and it's just so exciting to just finally snap that thing it's crazy you know what the best part about going up in difficulty is the harder something is to get started the quicker it snaps yeah. so mm, when you're sense. looking at snapping sure. like a yellow nail it's like Harder moving now. rubber back and forth yeah when you get a a, a grade eight bolt going you'll move it through 12 or 13 times and then it'll just snap itself open so you can spend half an hour doing a yellow nail uh you'll spend three or four minutes doing a grade eight nice yeah That's good to know yeah absolutely yeah i'm gonna All have right. I'm going to definitely get some advice on the double overhand and then also the double under and see what's going to work Time for to me. Have some harder steel now. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait to see what you guys are doing. Awesome. So uh, any potato lift you have uh, in mind that you might want to shoot for? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm uh, I'm not sure. What's the what's the current uh, world record? Uh, it's about 239 pounds. Yeah, I'm probably going to shoot for about 100 then. Joel Dirks. Yeah, yeah Joel Dirks has it. It's uh, almost 170 just to get on the boards in the uh, heavyweight now. Yeah, it's My stupid. Yeah, he got knocked off the boards. I'm pretty close to getting knocked off the boards. But like you said, you know, you want you want to see the best people do it. You have to risk that, you know, you might not be on your own leaderboard anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, you, you should leave yourself on there as an honorable mention. But uh, exactly. it's it's uh i got to play with vinnie's for a little bit i didn't uh push anything on it but it's a really interesting implement i'm looking forward to trying it no one's done battery hold and hercules hold so i still have that right rec those records yeah ah. as long as people don't start trying that yeah that's that's what you have to do you have to do something so right. small and so specific that nobody's uh, interested jason dingy's pull up i don't know if that'll ever be replicated never he did a pull up on the potatoes at 334 pounds um, he's oh that's unbelievable. just incredible I, and derek graybill did pinch pull-ups on it so just pinching the sides he got five pull-ups which just seems absurd he's a sick man yeah so yeah i think he was real lightweight at the yeah. time but still i mean that's crazy well if if jason ever decided to bend anything he'd just destroy the competition but i think yeah. joe i think joel dirk's got the attention of adam glass and uh, tanner merkel so tanner's gonna go for i think a potato record yeah, oh well that's going to destroy everything is it i i think he's just gonna you know he'll uh, he'll snatch it you know he'll, he'll get 250 pounds up over his head yeah <laughs> that'd be awesome with two see. fingers does a, does a one arm pull up at 230 pounds oh geez he'll he'll do a he'll do a uh potato pull up and grab a potato with the other hand for added weight he'll just uh he'll just do something grab ridiculous. an inch dumbbell with the left hand one hand pull up on the potato with the right something stupid oh oh sick man sick man yeah uh ben causey man he's he's up there too with that guy's insane certainness with what he can do on pull-ups and climbing and it's just yeah monstrous you know and i'm happy to get a couple in on a good day I think yeah. he strapped, uh, what was it, 50 kilos to his body, 110 pounds to his body, and did a potato pull-up. I'm just waiting for him to fully immerse into grip and destroy everything in his weight class. Yeah, when he goes into 80 kilos in grip, it'll be, uh, he might give Wigorski a, a good 
good run. He might be see if you can get him warmed up in time for October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's just uh, he's built to where he could potentially do. He's a very big hands for being an eighty kilos. Yeah, he's bigger hands than I do. He has like nine and a half inch hands almost for uh, something ridiculous. Unbelievable. Tall, thin climber. You know that helps. You need to see. You know that that's that sort of thing. That's just unfair. You shouldn't allow that to happen. It's also from Australia, so I mean, I think that gives him an advantage already somehow. Well, yeah, the environment's trying to kill him, so he's yeah. yeah the environment's trying to kill him. They have to run and climb up rocks just to get away from venomous anything, know, everything, <laughs> anything. So, there you go. That's it. That's you do. have to move quickly to avoid the drop bears too. Exactly. Yeah. All righty. Well. We appreciate you coming on with us and chatting with us. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Absolutely. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll get some potatoes out to you and uh, look forward to seeing what you do with them. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks, Tom. All right, Thanks a care. lot, guys.